0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com acquire. That's linkedin.com acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 216. It's titled, Avoid This Investment. Earlier this week, there was a report in the Financial Times that stated hundreds of police officers locked down Beijing's financial district. Teams of police and security guards were gathered at every corner of the intersections near the offices of banking and security regulators, as well as the entrance of the underground train stop for the financial district. mentions they checked identity cards of everyone entering the square kilometer that is home to Beijing's domestic and international banks. What were they worried about? They were worried about an announced protest by investors who had lost money in the recent collapse, the article said, of peer-to-peer lending platforms. China's online peer to peer lending market is the biggest in the world, $180 billion in loans outstanding. This is according to the industry monitoring service, DE Wangdai. And at the end of June, there were 1,836 online lending platforms operating in China, with 4.1 million investors having lent money to 4.3 million borrowers. That's according to the online lending house. 1836. When I went to, I would searched the internet. I went to Peer Finance 101. It's a site run by Joseph Hogue. His ultimate list of peer lending sites for 2018 listed 24. <laughs> far, far shorter than 1800. Here's what's going on in China, though. According to the Financial Times, over the past two months, a wave of defaults shocked families who believed their investments were safe. In July alone, 221 platforms experienced, quote, problems compared to 217 cases in all of 2017. These problems are... Investors unable to withdraw money, police investigating a platform, or the owners of the platform running away, leaving, obviously, investors really, really angry and wanting to protest. In episode 76, this was three years ago, in September 2015, I talked about peer-to-peer lending. And I have been involved in this space since 2006, first on Prosper. In the early days, you just lent. You could see who you were lending to. It was an actual loan. I remember one of my loans, as I mentioned in that episode, was to a baton teacher named Corey. She got a 23% car loan, so she, she had a car to go to the lessons that she was giving, and she paid it off. But it didn't work out so well because the recession hit, and even though the rates were high, my return over the lifetime of those loans was roughly 2 to 3%. The other problem is the Security Exchange Commission decided that these P2P lending companies were actually issuing securities and needed to be regulated. So Lending Club and Prosper, they shut down for a time. And now all of them are set up to where as you lend money, you don't have a direct relationship with the borrower. You essentially invest in some type of payment dependent security or note. So if the borrower pays, then they funnel through the platform. But your liability is with the platform. Where your investment is with the platform, not the borrower. Now, I'm not worried about the owners of P2P platforms running away, but there is the problem. The, the return expectations or the, the returns being achieved are much lower than what investors expect, much lower than what I forecasted in September 2015, in that episode, I showed the returns of Lending Club, And I, I like Lending Club's platform because they have great transparency. You can bucket loans and see how their A-rated loans did for a particular vintage year. And I did that. And I showed that the loans that, they, that originated in 2007... In 2008, the average return over all those loans was 2%. But I showed since then in the economic recovery, the average loans was, was generally in the 6 the to 7% range. And that was my expectation. I, I thought if you build out a diversified portfolio, that you should be able to earn 6.5% annualized. And I... Established a portfolio. I invested, I believe, upwards of twenty thousand dollars on Lending Club and another ten thousand on Upstart. I set up two portfolios and a portfolio of A-rated loans, the highest that they had, and then B-rated, the second tier. I hand-selected each loan, put in roughly one hundred fifty to two hundred dollars per loan, and I set up the portfolio, just this was a, a loans made in the fourth quarter of 2015. And then I've watched how they have performed. There were 67 loans in my A portfolio. The average interest rate was 7.1 percent. I had one default. So my return has been 6.6 percent annualized. So I, I felt pretty good about that. The B portfolio loans, the average rate was 8.1%. I had, I'm sorry, the average rate was 9.7%. My return, I did 52 loans. I've had four defaults. The average, the return for my portfolio was, looks like it's been 8.1%. Now, I was very, very careful I made sure that I only did three-year loans. I didn't lend anybody that was doing debt consolidation, no one borrowing for vacations, mostly home improvement loans. And I made sure they had a long work experience, hopefully in a steady profession like teachers and a low debt to income. And so the returns came in with expectations. But here's the challenge. The returns are going low or are much lower across the entire platform. The average for 2015 vintage loans, so across all loans that were issued in 2015 on Lending Club, the net annualized return is 4.41 percent annualized. So two percent less than what I, what they, what they were doing back in 2015. The 2016 vintage year. The net annualized return is 4.08%. These are loans only two years old. And across all the platform, the return, it's not going up. Once you're down to a 4% return, default rates have been high enough that that's, it's only going lower. In fact, for that 2016 vintage year, the best category is B. That returns 4.9%. FG loans, the lowest credit credit quality, negative 2.5% annualized. So the highest risk loans on Lending Club, two years in, 2016 vintage year, the returns are already negative. And it took forever. It's very time-consuming to select $150 loans. Mr. Money Mustache also did an experiment on Lending Club. He started in 2012. His expectation was to earn, or his goal was to earn 10% analyze. I, I thought that was unrealistic. He did automated investing, invested upwards of $40,000, he had thousands of loans, and I thought he could do 6.5%. Here's what he wrote on his blog, and I'll obviously link to it in the show notes. Or if you remember my free insider's guide you've already gotten, that email with those links, please sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. I'll also send you a weekly article, an essay I write that I don't post anywhere else. The only way you get that is you sign up for that email list, and it's usually something that adds to what I discussed in the podcast or something completely different regarding personal finance. Investing in the economy You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. So he started in 2012, Mr. Money Mustache. He writes in October 2016, I saw my account balance drop for the first time. The balance went down $300, when statistically it should be up about $600 over that time period. With my balance diversified across 2,500 notes, this should be a highly unlikely event. By the end of December 2016, I noticed the problem remained. Three more months had passed, and the balance had barely changed. The default rate seemed to have increased enough to eat up most of the incoming interest, which means there is no longer so much as an investment as a way of redistributing interest payments from responsible borrowers to irresponsible ones. Then in October 2017, he provided... Another update. He said the balance is still drifting downward. It has now been over a year of flat or negative performance, a time period which should have brought in about $6,000 of net interest and it brought in nothing. What prompted this episode is my investment in Upstart. I've noticed that, and I own again there, I did three years loans, $10,000. Upstart didn't allow me to choose. The loan. So they chose them. They made you split between A, B, and C loans. And in episode 76, I quoted their expectation that A loans, they modeled A loan returns of 6% annualized, B loans of 6.75%, and C loans of 7.3%. What's my return? Almost three years in, but not quite. The internal rate of return they calculated is 3.68%. There was 180 loans. I've had 21 defaults, five delinquent. Collectively, that's 14.4% of the loans. And the average interest rate is 9.9%. So I'm losing five percentage points a year just in losses. Now, what frustrates me about Upstart is they don't show that. Lending Club, you can get all the details of the history of their loan. Upstart says on their webpage that the average return is 6.4%. They've had $2.2 billion in originations. How is the average return 6.4% if my return's 3.7%? Well, it's because the average, is they, they're growing very, very quickly. 75% of their loans have been issued since 2017. In terms of, so the bulk of them are, are really new loans. And since the interest rate, over 10% on average, Since if most of your portfolio is new loans, they haven't defaulted yet. And so indeed, the average loan is, the average return for investors is 6.4%, and most investors have made money. But the typical investor, if we look at it by vintage year, it's not going to make anywhere near 6.5%. Lending clubs showing returns of 4% just two years in, to the loans. And we're in an economy in the US where it's doing great. According to GDP growth and according to unemployment, employment or unemployment is very very low. What are returns going to be when we get a recession? The the poorest credit quality for lending clubs already n- negative. How are these platforms surviving if it's truly peer-to-peer? If individual investors aren't getting anywhere near the returns that they expect, how is it that Upstart has been able to increase their loan balances since the beginning of 2017 75%? There's a structural change in the marketplace that is been really good for borrowers but not so good for individual lenders before we explore what that structural change is let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role that's why you have to check out linkedin jobs linkedin jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster, and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When I got my last monthly statement from Upstart, I once again lost money. The write-offs were greater than the amount of interest, not by much, but I wasn't earning a positive return, which is why my 3.76% IR is probably going down. So then I started searching for news on Upstart. And I found this article from American Banker, their asset securitization report. It was titled Upstart Finds a Buyer for Its Bad Loans, Lowering Funding Cost. And the article said Upstart, the online consumer lender founded by former Google employees, has found a buyer for its charged off loans. And this is allowing it to finance lending more cheaply in the securitization market. Peer-to-peer lending has transitioned to what is known as marketplace lending. And they're raising capital through the securitization market, which what is known as asset-backed securities. Asset-backed securities... This is according to Investopedia. Is there, it's a financial security collateralized by a pool of assets, such as loans, leases, credit card debt, royalties, or receivables. For investors, it, it says, asset-backed securities are an alternative way of investing in corporate debt. So it, it's like mortgage-backed securities, which are pools of mortgages that are packaged up and sold as bonds, And then fixed-income managers and other investors buy these fixed-income securities. But in this case, the package is consumer loans. Now, the article mentioned the latest securitization, $187 million securitization that Upstart sold into the marketplace. It was a rated security by the Kroll Bond Rating Agency. And here's the interesting thing. It said that Kroll reduced its expectations for net losses over the life of this upstart securitization deal that it's going to be between 18.3% and 20.3%. And that's 1.7 percentage points lower than their securitization from April 2018. Think about that. The expected default rate on this package of loans as part of this asset-backed security, they're expecting 183 to 20% default. And this pool, 39% of them was A-rated. So It wasn't like these were just all the junky loans. This is across their platform. Here's another piece of data I found. This is the TCW Consumer ABS Market Update. So ABS being asset-backed securities. They do a monthly report. Last July, so July 2017, they mentioned that Upstart, a marketplace lender of unsecured consumer loans, issued its first deal. $163 million deal. And they priced A-rated bonds that matured 0.9 years, so very, very short. They priced it to yield 2.65%. And the double B, three-year loan, three years, so it was asset-backed security, three-year loan, it was priced to yield 6.4%. How is it that the, The asset-backed bonds are yielding 6.4%, and the default rate assumed is 20%. In addition, Kroll estimates that default rate on that first deal is already 5.1%, and it's just over a year old. And that is the magic of securitization. They use something called credit enhancement. What credit enhancement is, it's a a risk reduction technique, and it's a way, it's sort of this margin of safety, this cushion to support losses and protect borrowers within an asset-backed security. They do a credit enhancement, and this article in American Banker said, this credit enhancement provides protection. For the notes against losses and delays in payment on the receivables or other shortfalls of cash flow. It consists of a combination of over collateralization, subordination to the senior notes, and a reserve account. So I went searching and S&P produced a report called The Basics of Credit Enhancement and Securitizations. They describe what subordinations are. So subordination is a process, they say, of prioritizing the order in which loan losses are allocated to the various layers of bonds so that lower-rated junior bonds serve as a credit support for the higher-rated senior bonds. More specifically, all principal losses on the underlying loans go to the most junior bonds first, resulting in a write-down of their principal balance. So the way that they're structured is if the, the A rated loans that have the or the A rated tranche of the asset backed security, they get paid first. So any defaults by borrowers go to those junior tranches first. But in addition, there's over collateralization. Over collateralization means that the value of the underlying loan pool backing the bond is larger than the face value of the bond. So there might be $110 or $120 worth of loans backing each $100 worth of bonds. And as a result, as you get default on the loans, because there's more loans than the value of the bonds, then that provides that credit enhancement, that cushion. Finally, there is a, a reserve balance in place. So on this deal that was priced in July 2018, where the expectation is upwards of 20% default, the tranches or the, across the entire deal, $187 million, there's 10% of over collateralization. So $110 worth of loans for every $100 of bonds. And there's a 0.5% Reserve balance. So that's the, the, the third attribute. You have the subordination, you have the over collateralization, then you have a reserve balance. So they have a 0.5% reserve on the initial balance of the notes. And what, what's helped is these ABS structures is prepayments. The fact that borrowers pay off the, these loans early, which means that reserve balance. The pool's getting smaller, but that reserve balance is still there. The article mentioned that Kroll, as they looked at the structure of this note, showed that the class A, so the the highest rated, had credit enhancements of 61%. And they didn't really describe what that meant. but, But my interpretation is between the reserve balance, the subordination, and the over collateralization, that there's like a 61% cushion, perhaps? I don't know. If you're an ABS expert, i looked, I couldn't find. So it says class A is 61% credit enhancement class, B 40% class, C 22%, and class D 10%. But the, the bottom line is that these peer-to-peer lenders, these marketplace lenders, are going to the institutional marketplace to raise money through this securitization structure with credit enhancements, which means that they don't have to raise the interest rate on borrowers like they would if all the funding was coming from individuals because individuals are getting not high enough returns as we've seen. So in that environment, you typically would raise the rates on the borrowers and hopefully offset the higher Defaults, But because they're able to go to the ABS market and securitize it, then then that keeps rates overall low, but means as individual investors, this is not a market that we want to play in. The other thing that Upstart did in this latest one, which is what the article was about, is that they signed an agreement with a third-party debt buyer. So that when a loan defaults, they just sell the loan off, and then the pool gets credited. And so the assumption is that Kroll assumed that defaults on bonds, or the default on the loans, that the recovery would be 8% instead of 0%. This securitization market is huge and growing. Peer IQ, they do a quarterly marketplace lending securitization report. The most recent one for the first quarter of 2018 says securitization continues to grow for the marketplace lending sector. Today, it showed another strong quarter with $4.3 billion of total issuance. It's up 34% from a year ago. And there's 33.5%. $4 billion of the securitizations across 114 deals. SoFi is the leader with $2.6 billion, and that's student loans, so that would include not just credit, so unsecured credit, but also student loans. The biggest issuers, or those that are packaging up, structuring the deals, is Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, Morgan Stanley. Interesting, they say in this report, despite equity and credit market volatility in Q1, we saw average new issuance spreads on consumer and student deals tighten across the stack. So spreads, what, what investors are demanding, the incremental yield above risk-free bonds is narrowing. There's a demand for these things, which again, keeps Interest rates low for the borrowers. But here's the disconcerting thing. They say consumer credit delinquencies and charge-offs continue to increase during the first quarter across the consumer credit. Robust structures continue to protect bond investors from credit deterioration. So all the credit enhancements that we talked about, they're protecting them, but defaults are going up. Deterioration is driven by a renormalization of credit performance post crisis. Essentially, longer, we're longer into the, the cycle. They mentioned a greater supply of credit and competition for riskier, borrower, riskier borrowers. So, there's a lot of competition. There's money out there to be to be lent because of the securitization, but the credit enhancements keeping rates down. And. The conclusion is that that's good. I guess if you want to borrow from one of these platforms, I wouldn't. But it, it is a way to get credit if one gets into a situation that really need to borrow. But I think there's as individual investors, there's we should avoid this investment. It used to be fun to do, but now returns are much lower. Because you're competing against institutions. And the fact that they have all these credit enhancements means that they're able to, they're comfortable with the lower returns on bonds because they're protected. And meanwhile, as individuals, we get no protection. We just get the default rates and the returns have been 4% for the latest vintage years for lending club and will be lower if not negative, when the recession hits. So avoid it. There's better options. You could buy, if you want, you can buy an iShares, iBonds, December 2021 corporate ETF. This is a bullet structure. So it doesn't matter what interest rates do, you're going to get your money back in three years. It's yielding, it's SEC yield, so its yield to maturity after fees is 3.3%. That's IBDM. You could buy The iShares Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ICSH, 2.55% SEC yield. I believe if you invest in those today, you will do better than if you go out and did new loans on Lending Club or Upstart. So avoid that investment. This is episode 216. Show notes, as I mentioned, are moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. Just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.